this morning, we're going to take our time through one single statement about the cross from 2 Corinthians, from a letter that was written by a man named Paul to a group trying to understand Jesus, and they lived in ancient Corinth. We're going to take our time through that passage, and this is what we're going to see. We're going to learn that when Jesus died, he was opening the door to new life for each and every one of us, a door that would lead away from our old selves with our old habits, our old patterns of being in the world, with those ways of living that we wish we could leave behind. Jesus was opening a door away from that way of living into a new way of being, a new life. Does anyone here have a sense this morning already how good it would be to leave the old you behind? <laughs> okay, then, then you'll be ready to hear what is claimed in this passage. Uh, if, if, if Christian faith is new to you, this is one of the most striking, and in my mind, uh, it, it's one of the most comprehensive expressions of what Jesus did when he died on the cross. It's remarkable. If you've been a Christian for a long time, open your heart to this again. And I'm going to tell you what Jesus wants for you. It's the same thing that he wants for me. Is for me to leave that version of myself behind that makes me shake my head when I look at him. Do you know that version of you? Where you think, how could I be that again? I decided I wasn't going to do that, and here I am. Or the version of me that I said I'm going to do this good thing, and yet I'm still not doing it. I'm free to leave that version behind because of what Jesus was doing on the cross. And you are too. Listen to these words. This is 2 Corinthians 4, verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ urges us on because we are convinced that one has died for all. Therefore... All have died, and he died for all so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. Now, here's a description of what happened when Jesus died on the cross, a statement about what Jesus was doing when he was there being put to death. We're going to take this entire statement one phrase at a time so we can understand what God wants to say to us through it. And we're going to begin with the opening phrase which tells us the motivation behind Jesus' death. It's right there in these first words, the love of Christ. Here is what motivated Jesus to go to the cross. Why did Jesus die? It was for love. What Jesus did when he was crucified was an act of pure love. And when it comes to understanding everything that Jesus did, we cannot overemphasize love. If there's one thing that we can't say enough of, it's love. This Christian faith is unique in this regard. It says God is is, this means fill in the blank. God is love. It says that in the Bible. It chooses one word to describe God, and the word is love. When God looked at the world, he loved the world so much. Do you know this? For God so loved the world. When Jesus had his followers together with him, and they asked him, what is the most important thing for us to know? He talked about love. 
What is the most important commandment? It is to love God. And the second commandment is like it, to love others. Love is at the heart of what Christians believe. It's at the heart of Christian faith. It's like the ground we are given to walk upon. And for us, it is impossible to overemphasize love when we talk about what Jesus was doing on the cross. Love not as the sentimental feeling which you have from time to time. Can you remember what it was like to be in love? For some of you, that was so long ago. But do you remember what it was like in high school when you fell in love? Yes or no? Yeah. We're not talking about that love. We're talking about the love, listen now, which is the decision to do what is good for that other person with no strings attached. Can you envision that? Love as the single-minded com commitment to the well-being of another person. Where, where, the action of, where your action is determined by what is good for that other person without hesitating because you know it's going to cost you something to do that for them and without being motivated by the thought of getting some kind of reward for doing it from them. Love is pure benevolence just because you decide to do it for that other. Can you see what that looks like in your mind's eye? Yes or no? I can envision it because thank God over the years, I've been given many pictures of what love looks like. Here's one. I'm sitting, I'm sitting on a subway going from Brooklyn into Manhattan, and I have an Easter basket on my lap filled with candy. And beside me is my oldest son, Duran. He's only four years old at this time. He and I are leaving our friend's apartment in Brooklyn. It was the first year where I was a single father. Can you remember that? Some of you who have been single, single parents, how hard that is. My friend had made an Easter basket up for my child because I couldn't manage anything. But the reason I was holding the basket is Duran didn't want to eat his dinner. He told me he had a stomach ache. I knew it was that he liked broccoli less than he liked chocolate. <laughs> so I said, you can't have the candy. Each and every time we stopped, Duran would watch the doors open and close. He loved the subway. At the Court Street stop, when the doors opened, there was a girl standing on the platform about his age, and she looked incredibly sad. A woman behind her stepped aggressively toward her and slapped her on the back of the head and said, get in the car. All of us on that car were stunned in silence, wondering how could any parent treat a child like this, and all of us were thinking, what could we do? She stepped onto the car, she stood there, the woman came in behind her and then said, I should have left you at the last stop. You're worthless, sit down. Have you ever seen something like that? She walked over and sat down on the seat across from me and Duran. We pulled away and all of the adults were looking at our feet uncomfortably. And then Duran said to me, Dad, can I have my Easter basket? And I said, no, Duran, you didn't finish your dinner. You can't have it. And then he said, I want to give it to that girl. And he pointed at her. He took it off my lap and he walked it over and he set it down on her lap. And then he came and sat back down. That's what love looks like. It looks like using the power you have, even if all you have is a basket of candy, to do something good for someone else without any strings attached whatsoever. It's the choice to divest yourself of your resources because you believe it will help someone else who is abused and hurting 
and helpless. Now, if you, if I, will understand the first thing about what Jesus did for us, we have to see that what Jesus did on the cross was motivated by love. He saw you. He sees me sitting in need, helpless and harassed. And the enemy that comes up against me is the power of sin and evil and malevolence and all of the wicked forms that it manifests itself in our world. But there I sit helpless and Jesus walks toward me with no strings attached to lay his life down for me because he loves me. And that is the truth about me and also about you. It was the love of Christ that was behind what he did. Have you seen it with me? Yes or no? Then we can move on to the next clause because this is what Jesus decided to do out of love. Look again. It says that one has died for all. It was love that motivated Jesus to die. For whom did he die? Can you see the word up there in English? It's the word all. In Greek, it's the word all. Sometimes I have like, you know, fancy Greek words that mean something different. No different here. Unambiguously, unequivocally, without any question at all, the New Testament insists that Jesus died for all people. And that means everyone who you know personally. Would you think of the people that you know personally right now? This is a statement about what Jesus did for your mom. It's a statement about what he did for your sister and for your brother if you've got a brother. And you're thinking right now, my brother is so awful. How could Jesus love my brother? <laughs> it's a statement about the people that you don't know. The ones that you would never talk to. The ones who are in that other group apart from you who you think, I have nothing to do with that person because of who they are. It's even a statement about moms who treat their daughters like that woman did on the subway. One has died for all. If we are going to receive what the New Testament teaches, it means that we have to be open to the truth that this love is for all the people we know, all of the people we don't know, and now I want this to be personal. That is also a statement about you. The New Testament teaches that Jesus also died for you personally. As much as you can, push all of the other people in the world that you know out of your mind and your imagination, and then look at yourself there. And don't hide behind the mask that you have to keep up around all the people who you want to impress. But just be the unvarnished version of you for a moment in your mind's eye. And, and by the way, I know what it's like to try to put up a mask so that I appear to be someone that I wish I was. Set that aside. Who are you really? Right now, you look at that person and Jesus Christ decided to die for that person because he loves that person. Not someone other than you actually are, but you just as you are right now. The truth is one has died for all. This death for you has to be reckoned with by you. And what I mean by that is only you can choose what to do with it. And what I want for you to do this morning, and this is really my hope for this message today, is for you to reckon with this. To decide what should I do with that claim that Jesus died for me. You know what Jesus says you ought to do with it? Is believe it. You should believe it and accept it. And if you will... If you will believe that and take it to heart, then the first thing that will be true about you is you will be a grateful person. Do you know anyone who just oozes gratitude? Yes or no? Do you know what it's like when someone doesn't ooze gratitude when they're complaining? That's not fun, is it? 
But gratitude is, is the, the disposition that comes when someone believes that everything that needs to be managed has been managed for them by someone who's got all the power and all of the will and all the authority to straighten things out and he has in fact done it for them. The claim that Jesus died for you is a claim that God has managed everything that needs to be managed for you. It's all been taken care of. You are completely and totally free. You are completely and totally free to leave behind that old version of you and walk forward into the future with a new version of you because Jesus decided to do that for you. If you would take that to heart, what would it look like? Here, let me tell you. It would mean accepting that you're accepted. It would mean believing and trusting that God has decided that you are his friend and living as if that were true so that each and every day you could be someone without anxiety or worry, but instead just someone with open hands who can receive the gifts that God gives. It would mean embracing the gift of reconciliation and trusting that all has been made well. It means knowing that God paid so much for you because he's decided you're worth just that much and you must have awfully high potential. It means no more grief over your sins because you've been forgiven and you are free to walk away from all of your regrets and then pass that forgiveness on to others. Why? Because Jesus decided to be your substitute and die in your place. He decided to be the Passover lamb so that his blood would be shed and you would be emancipated. It means that Jesus decided to be the sacrifice for you, the priest who offered himself so that you would have access to God. It means that he laid down his life as a ransom given for your liberation, revealing how much God values for you. It means that your, his death is secure, your forgiveness, erasing your debt, removing the record of your wrongs. All of this is yours to accept freely. Will you do it? Yes, and you're wondering how many cups of coffee did that preacher have? <laughs> it was three. Listen now, and, and take this to heart. And this is the claim in this one has died for all. When Jesus died, you personally were in his heart. Think of that. Yeah, he had you in mind and me in mind. He had us in mind on the cross. Now, that is a stunning thing to think about. But what comes next in this statement is even more astounding because it says, not only were we in Jesus' heart, but listen to this, that our old selves were also in Jesus' body. Okay, this is strange, but look at what it says because Paul wrote, since one has died for all, look at that phrase. He says, therefore... All have died. Does that seem like a strange statement to you? It is. It's supported by an extraordinary kind of logic. Follow me here. It is not, there, it's a non sequitur to say one died, therefore all have died. It doesn't follow logically unless somehow all people were included in that one who died. If that one who died somehow was a representative of all people so that in a sense, all people were included in him, only then could it be true that when he died, all people died. But right here is one of the most extraordinary and mysterious claims of the Christian faith. And it's up to you whether you accept this or not. But what the Christian faith claims is that when Jesus Christ was crucified, listen now, God actually took your sins upon himself so much so that he was taking the worst of you and the worst of me into his life so that when Jesus was put to death, 
that old worst of me was also put to death. So that when he died, the rebellious, disobedient sinner in me was also being put to death. That is the logic behind this statement. And it's a claim about the old you and about the old me that is mysterious, but nonetheless is presented as if it is completely true. Now listen for a moment. And here again, you have to be honest with yourself. Is there a version of you that when you look at it, you shake your head and you think to yourself, how could I be at it again? Is, is there one of those or not? I, I know right now you're thinking, oh, there's a version of my spouse that's like that. Just set that out of your mind. <laughs> you. Not your brother who gets on your nerves, but you personally. And, and please try to do this. See yourself. Can you? I can. Look at this. Here's another place where this is put very plainly. This is Romans 6, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. The idea here is that before Jesus was crucified, all of humanity was enslaved helplessly, mastered by this old way of being that is ugly and mean and malevolent and hateful and destructive and just gross. That's how it was. But when Jesus was crucified, he destroyed the body of sin that is the me that I don't want to be. The version of myself, which is the old character that I have no tolerance for, which is in fact the inauthentic version of me that I keep wanting to make apologies for. Here I'm taught that when Jesus was crucified, my old self and also your old self was also crucified. That's what it means to say that since one died for all, therefore all have died. Picture it. Look again. Your old self. That is the insecure version of you. Do you know the insecure version of you? It's the you that has to assert himself in every conversation so that he seems superior to the people around him. Do you know anyone like that? <laughs> Don't point out or tap anyone on the shoulder. <laughs> this is the person, listen, it's the person who's eager always to be acknowledged, always who's eager never to be blamed for something that goes wrong, who is compulsively driven to compare himself to everyone around him. So if anyone comes into his environment and has skills that are equal to or greater than his, he has to demean them to feel better about himself. That's the insecure version of each and every one of us needing always to win, needing always to be superior. And when Jesus was crucified, that was also crucified. The old you is the self-centered version of you. Do you know that one? Where you always are putting your own desires before the needs of other people around you. You are always insisting that you come first, seeing things only from your perspective without regard to their perspective and how they're different, expecting all of the people around you to accommodate themselves to your feelings, your whims, and your wishes. That's the old you, the vindictive version of you. Have you got this kind of version of you? The one that keeps records of wrongs? that says, I forgive you, 
but then harbors resentment inside because you don't really, and you hold it on and hold it over them. The one who's ready to collect the debt that you are owed by everyone who's wronged you, no matter how petty it is, it's the you who can't let it go, who is in that conversation and is saying inside, don't bring it up, but then you're bringing it up. Have you done that? Yeah. This is the you, in short, that won't obey God and instead wants to obey himself, herself. It's the old self in each one of us. And this is what is claimed here, that that you was put to death when Jesus died. And you know this, that most of us are routinely wanting to take our old selves off the cross and pretend that that's our true self still. Hiding behind the version of us that God has said no to because we're too afraid and not courageous enough to accept who God says we are and living this new life. Instead, we want to kind of pretend that we fit in with this world and all of these crooked values that tell us to be someone that we're not. Christ was put to death on the cross, so that old version of you was also put to death, and he did that so that you can have new life now. Try for just a moment to look away from that old you and look down this new path, the one that is just too good, the one in which, listen, the one in which you let the needs of other people matter more than yours, the one in which you are happy to let it go and not bring it up. Have you got memories of yourself in that way too? Please tell me you do, do you? <laughs> Maybe it, not as often, but do you, do you have them? Let me tell you, in those moments, whether you knew it or not, that was the spirit of Christ alive in you. The moment you forgave your sister or the moment you were able to turn away from that monster at work, shaking your head and saying, I'm gonna let that go. Or the moment you decided not to believe that old voice in your head that says you are worthless, you did that bad thing. The moment where you say, no, that's not me. I'm forgiven. Every one of those moments is you taking a step toward the new life that Jesus has opened for you when he put that old you to death. And it's put very well in our statement what this new life ahead of us is for and how Jesus actually died to give us that new life here. Look at how this statement concludes. This is why he died for all and put all to death. It is so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them, but for him. This is why Jesus died for you, so that you would not live for you, but for him. Can you tell the difference between when you're living for you and when you're living for Jesus? Can you tell the difference? Yeah, I'm glad you can. It's easy to not pay attention to those two, but you know if you pause when you're living for you, and here we learn that Jesus died and was raised so that you would not live for you, but you would live for him. And if you would live for him, it means simply, and I'm going to make this as simply, simple as I can, it means that you would live like him. Okay, living for Jesus means living like Jesus. There were two things about the way that Jesus lived that all of us are able to imitate. And both of them come down to love. Jesus loved God. And Jesus loved people because he loved God. And for us to live for him, it simply means doing the same, loving God and loving others. 
Anyone who studies the life of Jesus will see that Jesus spent time every day with the Father. Early in the morning, he got up and he had fellowship with the Father. In quiet time, alone, in solitude, he prayed. And you can do that too. You can love God by spending time with him, just like Jesus did. And each day, Jesus heard from the Father by dwelling in the Word. We can see it in Jesus' words that he was a man who opened his heart to God's Word in the Scriptures. You also can do that. You love God by dwelling in the Word. Jesus loved God by trusting him so much that every time his heart inclined him to go this way and God said, no, go this way instead. Jesus always went this way. By obeying God, he loved God. You can do the same. If you will do that, if you love God, you will love people too. And that is also how you live for him, by loving others. Think for a moment of the people that God put in your life. And be concrete here. Don't just imagine anyone, but imagine your spouse if you're married. Imagine your parents or your children or your friends, the people that you work with, the ones that you love working with, and the ones that you wish you didn't have to work with. Would you let them all come into your mind for a moment? Living for Jesus means loving those people. And that means regarding yourself as the servant of others, just like Jesus did. It means deciding to let the troubles and misery of others go into your heart, just as Jesus did. Whether you know them personally or they're someone who's being mistreated on the subway. Loving others means extending forgiveness to those who wrong you even though they don't deserve it, just like Jesus did. Loving others means believing the very best in others when they don't believe it in themselves, when you're inclined not to believe in them, just like Jesus did. Loving means believing the best in others. And please hold on to this. It means a willingness to suffer in order to alleviate suffering for others, just as Jesus did. And that last one I ask you to take to heart. For this reason. Right now, the world is suffering. Do you know that? Our world is suffering. The people around us are suffering. Some of you are suffering. The only path to healing, in my mind, that is trustworthy is for men and women like us, and you can't be too young for this, by the way, and you can't be too old for it either, to take to heart that Jesus died for us so that we would have a new life. And that new life doesn't mean after we die, it means the moment we decide to live by accepting that we, our old selves, have already died. Do you see it? And embracing the new life that Jesus gives us so that today and this very moment, we believe it. And that means loving the people around us like Jesus loved. Every one of you, every one of you is completely free to do this today. And, and when we finish here and gather around this table, you can take the, the, the wine in the cup and, 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 and the bread into your body and then you can be a person who loves. You can do it this very day and you should because in Christ's crucifixion, your old self was put to death and in the resurrection, your new self has come to life and all that is required of you is to accept that and be in Christ moving forward. One last statement. This comes a little bit after what we've already read. In verse 17, listen to this. So, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. You see that new you down the road and you take a step toward it now in faith. Let's pray. 
God, I thank you that you put to death our old selves. I know that I and most of us are aware of the fact that often we try to pretend we're someone who you have already said no to, putting us to death, our old sinful selves on the cross. I ask this morning very simply that every one of us in the way that is uniquely personal to us would hear the call of your gracious and loving spirit, inviting us to walk through the door that you have opened for us into new life. Help us love like we've seen others love in the past. Help us love as we have ourselves been able to love in humility and kindness and gentleness and generosity. Fill us with your spirit so that we can be people of peace and joy, patience and kindness, long-suffering, generosity, faithfulness and self-control. And then use us to draw others to your gracious presence. Thank you for what you did for us in Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.